try to have as many conversations with people in the positions that you want to be as possible. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University sports podcast, where my partner, Joe Favorito, and I talk about the business of sports with all kinds of interesting executives and investors and athletes and gadflies around the business. Um, Joe, good to be back with you. Looking forward to this discussion because it's a topic that you know well, you know very well. We're going to be talking about social media. So let's talk before we introduce our guests a little bit of what's going on in social media at this really interesting time in our business, in our country. Uh, and I know you and I have both been paying attention, for example, to what the leagues and teams have been doing, but this has been a particularly interesting uh, end of summer stretch as it relates to communications and social media. So what are some of your thoughts about that right now? Yeah, and just to kind of level set, we're sitting here right before Labor Day. So given the world we're in right now, there could be some unique announcement that we don't know about. Uh, and people will say, well, why the hell didn't anybody talk about that? It's because we didn't know. So we're just, so going into the Labor Day weekend, a week before the NFL season, um, as college football continues to kind of roll through to play games, which is going to be interesting. I actually watched a high school game on ESPN last night for about 10 minutes, uh, which I, I thought was taped. And then I realized it was live, even though nobody on the field had any masks on, which is okay, I guess when you're playing Indiana and other than face masks, the usual face masks, Indiana and Ohio. So, um, you know, I I think the one thing that that continues to come up, Tom, is, you know, we've touched on before is the social activism side. Um, You know, we're a couple weeks past what the, uh, what happened with the NBA, but we're seeing more kind of literally put your money where your mouth is type of things. Mm -hmm big statement by the NFL coming from the top where leadership has to come from. Uh, And then also this week, there was a big announcement, literally putting money where your mouth is by the Miami Heat too, uh, in terms of working with the police and and creating programs in Miami that they are going to pay for, not wait for anybody else to pay for, which is landmark. And I think that's going to set the example for a lot of other teams as well. Yeah. It just feels like the horse is out of the barn and now everybody's got to follow. So whether it's something fairly simple to do, like announcing closures for all team and league facilities for election day, which now the NFL has officially announced, I think as of, was it yesterday? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's happened league wide anywhere else. I suspect it will be reading stories in the next few days or a week about that. Cause it really, it's a really good move. And I actually personally think more companies should do that. Um, privately held companies. Uh, as leagues are. So um, it's going to be really interesting to watch, but it seems to me, Joe, and I'd love your opinion on this. It's an interesting balance in that. The thing about social media is, as we discuss in, you discuss in your class, I discuss in mine, it kind of is an all the above media and communications endeavor. You got to be rah-rah promo stuff. You got to be marketing. You got to be customer service. You got to be entertainment. You got to be socially conscious, community related, et cetera. And it seems like it's a good time to probably be over-indexing on the social stuff in terms of your tone, the type of tweets you're doing and things like that. Would you agree with that? Well, I I think that there's, yes. Um, I think the listening side of this, as we always talk about, is really important in listening to what the conversations are that are going on and where you insert yourself into those conversations. You know, the NHL also made a big announcement this week saying that they're going to, they've laid out some of their social justice initiatives that they're going to take on. Um, But I think, you know, you've also seen what's happened with Rail Salt Lake and the ownership there and what happened with the Atlanta Dream and their ownership there and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, voicing an opinion and, and making sure that you're not kind of getting shouted down if you have an opinion that may be dissenting that you can back up, I think is also important because, um, you know, we've seen everything go both literally black and white and and we're going to live more in an area of gray and i think the people who can build towards gray and and be inclusive are and the companies that do that are the ones i think that are going to win out and um listening to people on both sides and voicing an opinion i think is is important and you know not everybody agrees i mean you can't agree on everything but you have Mm -hmm. to find the, the right place and you know you've seen that i think um even in MLB where you've seen some athletes come along and say, I don't agree with this, but I'm not against anybody trying this. Um, And I think that's really, really important. And I think that's part of the social listening experiment that's going to keep going on. 
Um, and, you know, we're, we're going to see different pieces. Like I said, this, this announcement with the heat this week um, with our buddy Quentin Williams, uh, who has been on our podcast. If anybody hasn't listened to the podcast that I did over the summer with Q, you should. Um, but, you know, their whole initiative is we want to work with the Miami Police Department. And one of the things that Michael McCullough, who is the SVP of the Miami Heat and has been there for a long time, uh, voiced was, we want to make sure that, that the Miami Police Department understand that the Black Lives Matter that we support is a movement, not a website. And we want to make that crystal clear that there are people out there who are doing things that we don't agree with. But what we think is important is we need to be inclusive and bring everybody into a conversation. And the Arison organization and the Miami Heat are going to put money, money, dollars into this with the Miami Police Department to create a community initiative. We're not just going to say this should be done. We're going to put our dollars on the table and we're going to make it happen. And uh, I think that was really kind of landmark. And I didn't really realize it until I saw the, her the uh, headline of the Miami Herald that that's what they were doing. Um, and I think other teams are going to do that and other brands are going to do that going forward too. That's where they're going to start spending their money. So Joe, uh, before we get, get into the show and our guests, uh, one quick question, because this will probably be published, the show, after opening night of the NFL, which is next Thursday. Correct. Um, what's your over under on the, the percentage of NFL players who will kneel or show some kind of social protest? Well, I think the uh, league has already said that we are going to take we are going to incorporate that into, um, if not opening weekend, across various platforms that are going, or various engagements that are going to happen. Um, right, but well, th there will be that moment, and it is arguably, other than the Super Bowl, the single biggest, I would call it, primetime yeah. uh, presentation so, of sports of 2020, in my yep. opinion. So really interesting, watching Hard Knocks this week. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Anthony Lynn, who, is, who was the head coach of the Chargers, who is the head coach of the Chargers, um, African-American coach, has played numerous places, played for the Jets, uh, played, uh, came up and, and, and in a Zoom chat that was on the show with all his players, he came right out and they were asking right around, this was when the Bucs uh, had, had, were the first team to stop the play in the NBA. Um, and they were debating whether they were going to not practice the next day. And he said, Point blank to his players, you have to get your ass out in the community and you have to get your ass out and make sure that people vote. Those are the yeah. things that are going to matter. If you miss practice tomorrow, that's up to you. We, we will support you. But don't think for a minute that that is going to impact people going forward. We have to constantly stay on top of this. So do I think that players will kneel? Yes. We don't know if the NFL is going to televise the anthem, by the way. I mean, sometimes oh, that was another question. All right, but I do. They do sometimes. Let, they, let, let's wrap this part of the conversation up with with an actual prediction of a number. What percentage? I think this is a really interesting question. Because uh, before you I answer, so, before you so, answer, before you answer, one thing. I watched Hard Knocks too. I thought it was very moving. That that was a really intense episode on yeah. on this issue, and it seemed to me. I have my own number in mind, but I want to hear from you first. It seems of to me course. this has gotten to a level that. Um, even is even higher than it was, let's say a month ago. Yep. On I the eve that, of the season. So, so I'm going to put a, a little bit of a blanket around it. I think you will see players, you will see a percentage of players kneel, but you will also see other players who will do other things during the course of the game that will address this. And okay. whether that is a different stance, literally not kneeling, but doing something else. Maybe it's going to be not coming out for the anthem like we've seen with, with some right. of the WSL teams. Yeah. Um, I think that the NFL is going to be hyper-focused on this and make sure that hopefully that there are no surprises, a big thing in communications, so that they know how many players uh, will kneel. I would say, I mean, if, if you take the whole thing, I, think, I, I don't think you will go through one game where you will see an entire team stand. I, I think that you'll see it across the league in various places. I don't think you'll see it uniformly. I think they're going to try that like baseball did um, when they made their first stance. Um, but again, you, I, I think it's different strokes for different folks, literally. So, All right. My prediction is it's going to, if not a hundred percent, it's going to be close to hundred percent. That's my prediction. Now let's yeah, move on. I think that's going to be hard to do given the, the, the um, we'll see breakup of the NFL uh, in terms of, of the backgrounds of the players. Um, but you know, it'd be good for us since we're both involved in social media, it'd be good to talk to some experts who understand our pain points because, they live, like that? because they live I'm them. I'm sorry. Go get some beer. <laughs>
Yeah, you um, know. Hey, before, before we get to that, one other thing that I thought was interesting right. when we talked about okay. it, um, there was an article this past week, um, and I know the NBA is working hard on this, and it came after Roger Goodell talked about closing for, um, for the election, that the last presidential election, less than 20% of NBA players voted. I saw that. And my, my reaction to that is, um, uh, you know, so Doc Rivers came out and said, you know, we're, we're talking to people in the bubble, making sure that they do that. Every team, every league has captive players now. Mm-hmm. It does not take a lot to get somebody to fill out a form. They're filling out forms in their locker room for a million different things every day. Right. Mm-hmm. Why haven't the leads, and maybe they will now, go around literally in a locker room before you practice, fill the damn form out? Yeah. Well, I'd like, to, I'd like to think since the NFL has a major initiative, NFL, hashtag NFL votes, which we both tweeted about, okay. I'd like to think that at least in the NFL, <laughs> we'll be good on that. That's a different story. But the fact that 20% of NBA players were only registered. That's crazy. Play. It's very, it's, it's disappointing. And I, hopefully this, will, this is an inflection point now. Yeah. Anyway, we, anyway we happen to have a couple of social media experts and they're doing something really cool and really relevant to this conversation. They have created a, a content, let's call it a content, well, they call, call it a, a content content creation platform for real-time social media and their goal is to simplify how teams collaborate and create and the company we're talking about is called slate some of you have heard of them because some of you out there are doing business with them right now we'll talk about that but we're really pleased to welcome to the show today the co-founders will brook and eric stark uh really happy to have you guys thanks for joining me and joe today Thanks, Tom. Excited to be here. Great. So probably a ton of, you know, there's probably a good percent of our audience that certainly don't know you guys and may not even be familiar with Slate, although I know you do have a bunch of really high profile clients like an NBA, MLS, even NFL. So that's all good. But I think we need a little backstory to to provide some context here. So why don't you guys introduce yourselves briefly and then we'll talk about your your business. Cool. Or Eric, go first. Yeah. I'll go first. Yeah, my name's Eric Stark here. I'm a co-founder and CEO of Slate. Um, before co-founding Slate, I worked at the NFL for um, five seasons doing international marketing um, and fan development overseas. And before that, I worked at the San Francisco 49ers for a few years running their social media and digital channels um, and spent some time at the NFL even before the Niners doing digital. So um a long career doing digital social and marketing for the league before co-founding slate and part of the pain point that you know i experienced in those roles is, is what we're solving nice will will here i'm a co-founder and chief growth officer at slate my background was working more on the agency side of building apps and websites for big brands from cbs news to uh, warby parker and even the dallas mavs website way back when Nice. So how did you guys get to meet each other and had, and who, whose brainchild was this? And t- tell us how you actually founded the company. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Will was basically the, the entrepreneur, the spark that, um, that kind of made this thing a reality from the beginning. Uh, he had started a, a different mobile app with a co-founder named Michael Horton, who's not on this call. Uh, Michael and I worked together at the San Francisco 49ers. So me and him always stayed in touch about ideas and about um, things that he was doing. And, you know, he would always talk to me about this project he was working on with Will. And basically from that, you know, what they were doing related to brand fonts sparked the idea of, hey, as a enterprise social content creator, I would love to use something like this in a role for my own social content creation. Uh, And basically, you know, that was the spark and through the infrastructure that Will had built and Michael had built on this other project that pivoted into Slate and we basically were able to quickly make um, a prototype of version of the product and, you know, talk to NFL teams and see if this pain point was something that actually resonated. And we realized pretty quickly that, you know, this did resonate and this didn't exist, you know, for enterprise social content creators yet. And that we were onto something and kind of 
took it from there. So when you did the business plan, uh, I, I assume at a certain point you determined you needed some level of funding to get it going. And I know you have a couple of investors. Can you talk about that process? Yeah, uh, definitely. We, uh, we have two co-lead investors that we brought on at the beginning of this year. Um, one is Titletown Tech, which is a joint venture arm of the Packers and Microsoft that just actually launched last year, a fairly new fund, and also uh, Wise Ventures, which is the venture arm of the Vikings. And um, so they were our co-lead investors for a pre-seed round. And then we also got an assortment of angels through the 37 Angels Angel Group, which is actually uh, led by a Columbia Business School professor, Angela Lee, who's been a big advocate for us. And uh, perfect timing. We raised this round right at the beginning of COVID, and it's given us a ton of breathing room to be able to expand the platform, our team, start to move into new verticals and move as fast as we want to move. So that's interesting. You got two of the NFL teams. So I assume uh, they also are your customers. Exactly. I would hope. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. And, and Eric actually can speak to uh, the Vikings and kind of our, our history as, uh, as working with the Vikings team, uh, primarily through Eric's past experience working with the head of social and digital at the Vikings when they were both at the 49ers together. Oh, okay. Interesting. Hey, um, uh, before, before we get to that, and because we're going to talk a lot, a lot about sports, um, Tom and I worked on Bloomberg Sports when it first launched uh, mm. the whole process until it was eventually sold to Stats Inc. Uh, but the interesting thing was the two guys who came up with the idea, uh, Bo Moon and Jay Lee, uh, worked at Bloomberg on the desk side. And what they realized was they need, they were terrible. The, ter the, termi the terminal side, the terminal side. What they realized was they were terrible fantasy players. And if they took <laughs> the technology that Bloomberg was doing, they literally went in and presented an idea where they overlaid uh, their stats on, mm -hmm. on what they were working on, on the terminal. Interested to hear kind of like as a non-sports, what, what were the adaptations that you saw for this business that, were, you were working with outside of sports that you thought were easily adaptable to the business that Eric was really close to? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Uh, we had originally specifically focused on a, a consumer-facing product that was more focused on fan engagement. Mm -hmm. So if you're a fan of definitely a sports team, but also a fan of a consumer brand, um, you know, entertainment's the most obvious space there, TV, film, Harry Potter, Stranger Things. Uh, that was the initial touch point for this product. Fans are interested in engaging with brands and doing that through text is a pretty new and innovative way to do that. Being able to type out in the Stranger Things font or the Harry Potter font, um, you know, that of course can apply to sports as well. You know, all these sports teams have their own unique fonts as well. Um, so it was, it was mainly focused on how can they more easily add their own personal voice, you know, typing out in a, in a unique way onto social and then from working with Eric and speaking to a lot of these sports teams, we saw a much larger use case of, wow, they actually need to add their own brand graphics, whether it's through static stickers or animated stickers in the form of GIFs, animated overlays, static overlays. Um, and then the products kind of, it's not kind of, it's definitely evolved quite a bit from there to give these content creators more tools beyond just the standard text form. So well, as chief growth officer, you're doing all the biz dev calls. I would say that's Eric and me together for sure. Okay. And then we also just expanded our, our sales team uh, this past two months. So we're okay. sharing the burden quite a bit. I'm, I'm definitely helping to grow our brand quite a bit right. on the mm -hmm. PR marketing side. And then also um, sales and moving into new industries, even outside of sports. Take, take us through the process of selling this to a skeptical would-be buyer. Because and, and by the Joe, way, Joe and I, getting cheap, yeah. cheap, but cheap, right? <laughs> and oftentimes cheap. Yeah. Uh, we yeah. might add. Joe and I, uh, Joe worked on several uh, with several NBA teams. I worked in two two of the leagues. So we've been on yeah. the receiving end, and I've been on the giving end of tons mm -hmm. of pitches about tech products and new solutions and great new things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What what's kind of your wrap when you know someone might be a little skeptical and cheap? But for sure. <laughs> on the skeptical piece, uh, the first thing we do is is mention that, you know, Eric and our other co-founder Michael were in the buying seat. Smart. You know, just <laughs> just last just last year, um, 
And we, so there's a lot of empathy there in terms of how challenging their jobs are because, you know, Eric was just in that seat last year. Um, and then of course it builds that trust that we need. We're not just some random guys creating a product that we think is relevant. Um, it, it's something that they wish that they had when they're in those, those roles. Um, and then on the, on the budget side, um, definitely tying into the sponsorship piece of how you know, social media sponsorship is more important now than even just six months ago before COVID with in-stadium sponsorship not being really a force or a presence at all for a lot of partnerships teams. And so we, we definitely are making a concerted effort to tie the value of using this platform to give your partnerships teams more options on delivering uh, sponsored social media content, uh, which is really important if you're looking for make goods right now. Yeah. So um, that, that's interesting that you mentioned something, uh, something that I think is really important because I've been on the sell side myself is you had the knowledge with Eric's involvement and your other partner, the knowledge and the street cred to go in there and be taken seriously. Like you, you could relate, you had the empathy, as you said, to understand what they were going through. That is lacking in so many pitches that I've encountered. Yeah. Uh, around mm -hmm. the industry, You're like people just don't have an appreciation for what the other side's going through. So I'm sorry, yeah. Joe, quick one. Yep. So what is what are what are the top what is the top objection or two objections you get even after making that good case? Yeah, that's, yeah. Is it is it back to Joe's cheap question? Maybe. Eric, I'll let you take that since you've been leading most of these calls. Yeah, yeah, I could jump in on that. I mean, I think it is back to Joe's question. I think yeah. I'm shocked. When, and, you know, it's obviously, especially more so now than than before March, I think part of the, the challenge we face is, um, you know, investing, everyone sees the importance of social media now from these organizations, but there's still, the investment still hasn't followed kind of the talk about social media, right? And our tool, what our tool does is it makes the life easier for a social media manager. It makes their work easier and like the content better. Uh, but if someone's like, how does this make me a dollar like tomorrow? It's like, well, you know, saving time for your social media person should be a priority. Just like you said up front, Tom, about how, you know, a social media person now has to be a graphic designer, a PR person, a communications lead, a copywriter, customer um, service rep, customer service rep, like oh. they're juggling so much. And, you know, every day a new platform <laughs> launches that they have to publish to. Right. Right. Um, so, you know, our tool is actually pretty cheap investment to, um, make their lives easier and the content better at the same time. So that really, you know, we don't have a problem when we show the product, like people love the look of the product and they're like, we want this. It's just some, like the people that want it the most aren't the people with spending power, right? Your social media managers, those people still aren't empowered at these teams to have their own budgets and make their own decisions on tools. So we have to help them pitch it internally. And part of that is the sponsorship side. Part of that is, you know, getting other groups who have interest in it, like the creative side and um, the marketing and, and commercial development side. But yeah, it's, um, it's always a budget thing. So Eric, that said, it just occurred to me, and this is, this is true with a lot of, um, a lot of sales situations into teams and leagues that you've got multiple departments who have a, mm -hmm. a vested interest in this who actually makes the decision and writes the check typically yeah um i mean typically it is like a vp of marketing sometimes there's a vp of social level person they still have to like go up to probably their cmo to get the last budget approvals uh, but oftentimes lately, it's been a, a combination of like half of it being subsidized from the, the corporate development team and sales and the other half being through content. And they kind of come together because both are getting value out of it. So a couple things, Eric, uh, and I want to go back to when I kind of changed the narrative, the narrative before, uh, but talk about the Vikings and explain the use case and how it works and how it got to that point. But the other question, which I think is important is how do you guys get this from being a wish list to a must have? Is it more the growth of teams where 
you know, you've got an owner or a GM or someone who's already invested in your company getting on a cell phone or on a Zoom call and say, why the hell don't we have this or why are we wasting our time? Um, I don't think, it doesn't sound like you've gotten to that point yet, but I would imagine that that's part of it. So how do you go from wish to must in the future? And then walk us through kind of like the Vikings or the Niners and, and what it looks like and how it works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess the first question, I mean, we're really um, like Will was mentioning, especially right now, we're really focused on how much the tool could help teams not only just create cooler looking content, but make more money off of sponsored content. And we think we're really well positioned at, with the landscape of sponsorships changing and everyone basically being forced to catch up with sponsoring their social content because all of a sudden it's their most important inventory. Um, and oftentimes these sales teams are not used to sponsoring one off like social. It's a package you know, social gets added in as, um, you know, something of a larger sponsorship package and it's not being valued or sold properly. And now that that's starting to be the case, our tool really is well positioned to help teams take advantage of that, sponsor more content and keep it um, still like authentic and engaging to the brand. Um, in terms of the Vikings use case, was the question there, how do they use it? Yeah, what, what is it? I mean, we can't look at it, but like mm -hmm. walk us through kind of like what it, what the it actually is. So if you're pitching us without us looking at it, you know, in the old days when we're on a conference call, not on a Zoom call, um, what does it do? How, do? how does it kind of make my life easier if I'm working for a team? Mm -hmm. And then, by the way, and one other question, this is for actually for the two of you guys, because Tom, I'm sure you may be thinking of this too, but when you talk about the decision makers, my guess is that most of them, frankly, probably look like Tom and I. Um, is it easier to find a team that has... What, younger, what do you mean by that, Joe? Uh, very <laughs> handsome. Okay, thank you. Really handsome, <laughs> handsome and wealthy. No, just kidding. But, uh, um, but is it, how do you find the right person? Have you found it easier to sell in when, when the decision maker is actually much more socially adept? Not that we're not mm -hmm. socially adept, because we are, but um, or they're worried about still worried about things like ratings as opposed to, you know, mm -hmm. tone of voice and chair of voice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely easier when the decision maker like gets social wants to invest in it and then loops in kind of the day-to-day -day user of the product and says, I like this, it looks cool, but you know, the person using this would, I need to get their buy-in because they would actually be hands-on. And we know we're in at that point because we know the social manager is going to love it basically because of, because of how the tool works. Um, so that's always the, the best case for us. And then on the flip side, like how do we give, if we're just talking to the, um, the end user or someone who isn't a decision maker, how do we give them the tools to pitch it properly internally? Um, still something we're trying to learn and figure out the best way to do that. And it's not always kind of a easy answer that wor would work for every team. They, they'll have different priorities. Again, for both of you, here we are. We all follow these platforms. You mentioned the fact, Eric, before that new platforms are coming in, coming up uh, pretty frequently. Where do you stand? What's the pecking order right now for the average professional sports team in terms of importance right now? The leading platforms. If you had to, if you took off your software sales hat and just became a consultant because you know the business so well, so let's start with Eric since you worked at a team. Mm -hmm. What would you say to a social media team right now, let's say a young one that doesn't know the macro stuff as well, where you want to really do your, put your focus in terms of prioritization? Because mm -hmm. the backdrop to that question is that Joe and I talk about this all the time. There are just a lot of teams that are really inconsistent. Like they're doing good stuff on one platform, but almost nothing mm -hmm. on the other. Mm -hmm. Or they're, 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 they've ignored YouTube, like whatever, just like random, in my opinion, missteps. In this. So what's important right now in your, in your guys' opinion? Yeah, YouTube's an interesting one. I definitely say that there's a lot of reasons that that has been a little more overlooked in importance, even though it should be higher on the list. And I would probably call that potentially like the second most important platform. I definitely think Instagram is the most important platform for these teams and is probably reflective of like how much effort they're putting into to the platform. And I would say, you know, the reason is probably twofold. It's because 
that platform obviously has sustained its growth position and also it has basically two powerful ways to engage the audience like uh, and there's other ways that it's introducing that are kind of unproven or not haven't picked up as much steam but instagram feed is a way to like reflect your brand in a very like highly polished powerful way that's continuing to get impressions and engagement and that's growing and then Instagram stories is, you know, the way to capture real time, authentic content, a higher volume of content um, and have that less produced kind of more all access content that fans like really want. Right. Like this is what a team's most valuable asset is their access to their players and to practice and to these behind the scenes moments. And Instagram stories is the best place to show that all access content. So it's cheap to produce that content. It's mostly done on a phone and it's getting a lot of engagement on stories. And also, you know, stories is becoming a place where you could drive meaningful marketing actions with, you know, swipe ups and pushing fans to other experiences. So like that mix of those two, like makes Instagram definitely the most important platform right now. Okay, so Instagram one, YouTube, you're saying two. Yeah, but... I would I would say YouTube's two, but there's limitations, especially right. at the team right. level, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. because you know the broadcast rights and what would actually work on YouTube. It's a longer form, the highlight content, um, but you know, as a place to get ad revenue and to you know get your content in front of a wider audience, that's definitely the next most important. Mm -hmm. And then, I don't know, I mean, Facebook has fallen a lot, I think, in the last five years or four years in terms of importance for these teams. I would say most teams think Twitter is more important than Facebook wow. now um, wow. in terms of their day-to-day. -day. Um, you know, Facebook is still a traffic driver, but I think teams are trying to figure out what to do as that platform is changing and deprioritizing things that it used to prioritize, especially on the brand side. So let me insert a, a, a more... Uh, fundamental kind of macro question. Joe, I want you to answer this too. How much of this should be reactive to the behavior that everybody is tracking versus aspirational? And I'll just use the example of TikTok. So when TikTok started getting popular, it was like, we need a TikTok channel because we need to talk to tweens and Gen Z and, and, and Gen Alpha. And everybody is rushing into TikTok for that reason. So it's kind of aspirational Facebook is an aging audience, so that's, as you said, become less popular for the business. But I think about it personally, like really strategically in terms of what you're trying to do, because it takes, even with your Slate tool, as you guys know, it takes a lot of work to do this well. And what are you really after? If it's, if it's a more transactional agenda, where you're simply looking for more inventory for your sponsors, that's understandable. But there is an element of marketing and fan development, in my opinion, particularly with the generational challenges, that is really important. So I would love to get all three of you guys on that question about aspirational versus, let's call it, you know, fan, fan maintenance or something like that. So let me, um, and I actually, this leads into another piece for both of you too, because we've talked about NFL. Uh, differences between the leagues, the team, the other leagues, and their perceptions of how this mm -hmm. goes. Because I think that's right. part of it, Tom, is that when you look at disruptive leagues, and I'll put the NHL and MLS in that bucket, and then you have that need to do things, and that goes back to need versus want. Um, and then you've got other leagues that are going to do something and, and want to attach a dollar to it, and other teams that will do that, example being the Yankees and TikTok. Mm -hmm. um, it varies from who the leadership is at the top and where they think this is going to go. So you have Ted Leonsis and Mark Cuban on one side, and, you know, I would put the Warriors in that bucket. And then you've got, you know, the New York Giants on the other side, probably, who are not going to, to do a lot of things because right now, at least, their perception is this is what we do. This is how we do it. We'll add some of these things as we can, but unless we can sell it, we're not really going to spend extra time because all Which is a really short-term view of the future of your business. And, and, and so, me, way, let me throw in one example that I just happened to study yesterday, getting ready for my new semester next week. This, this blows my mind. So you, have you guys heard of World Chase Tag? It's a league, WCL? No, this is uh, WCT. 
World Chase Tag. So it's professional tr- chase. It's actually, they're fascinating videos. They're 20 second races where you evade the other guy. Get this, because mm-hmm. I learned about this thing about six months ago and I find it really interesting. They've got close to 800,000 subscribers in their YouTube channel, because I would defy you to not watch a bunch of these if you, go to, if you go see one of their videos, you have to watch them. I then said to myself, hmm, let me go check back and see what some of the big leagues are doing that have not exactly done so well on YouTube. I go back to NASCAR and MLS. Guess what? Both of them significantly smaller than World Chase Tag on the second most important platform, arguably, in social media today. And I'm saying to myself, am I the only one that thinks about this kind of stuff? Or like, what's what's going on here? You know, this time last year, the only team that was engaged in YouTube in Major League Baseball was the Chicago Cubs until MLB came along and said, oh, we're doing a deal with YouTube. Then all of a sudden, YouTube became a big deal. Right, but in this case, I'm talking about leagues where, in my opinion, well, YouTube is really, really, really important as, as evidenced by WWE, NBA, et cetera. So anyway, do you guys have any thoughts on that? Like, yeah. why, why, why would there be such deficiencies on certain platforms? Is this just back now, to Joe's point? killing about- any of your clients, by the way, and also. <laughs> um, well, no, also- I, respect, I respect both organizations, and they are doing good things in other areas. Yeah. What I'm getting to is, is the point I made a few minutes ago about inconsistency. So if, also, if, if your assessment, Eric, is right, and I believe it probably is that YouTube may be the second most important thing, then why, if you're MLS talking about your young tech-savvy fans looking to grow, why wouldn't you be working that a lot harder yeah. than, than apparently they are? I mean, it's the power of, of the broadcast rights, you know, and that still, like as much as you want to innovate when you look at as the business, you know, like what you're still making the most money off of and what those contracts look like these teams. I mean, first of all, the teams are hamstrung by the league because they're not allowed to launch a YouTube channel without the league's approval. um, And they're not allowed to post highlight content on that channel without that being cleared by the broadcaster. And then the leagues themselves, like, you know, they're still, as much as times are changing and, um, you know, these executives are innovating, they're still making the majority of their money off of the broadcast rights and they don't want to do anything to threaten that and putting, you know, a 20 minute highlight on YouTube threatens that. Um, and it, it's also the OTT properties that they're trying to build up. So it's understandable from that perspective of like, you know, they always call it at the NFL, like your crown jewel, like highlights are the crown jewel. And um, how do you balance wanting to be first to a platform and having a more like liberal content strategy that allows you to grow an audience versus like protecting the asset that, you know, you could sell exclusively for a ton of money. (laughs) And that's still what it comes down to. Um, But I do think that tension is starting to loosen and these leagues are finding ways to balance both Um, and they're being forced to. And, and, you know, one of those things, Tom, I think, you know, because we've talked about this before, when we get to the NFL season, and most people will be listening to this after the first kickoff, you'll watch a national te- national televised NFL game, and everyone will be talking about social and Microsoft, yet you'll watch a broadcast, there won't be a hashtag, there won't be anything other than maybe mentioning some of the uh, the social handles of the players to drive someone to a second screen, because they want all those eyeballs still on, on the main screen, and, and they think if they share or try and drive a conversation, even though they know it is happening and they could control it, they will not drive something to a second screen unless you're ESPN trying something like a mega cast on a one-off basis. Well, what do you think of this issue? Well, on, on the um, kind of that balance between fan development and, and investing, deciding which platforms to invest in, what, what's been interesting to me to see is you're consistently you'll see the Snapchat content that these teams post always be a kind of a copy paste of the Instagram content that they've posted just minutes earlier. Um, So I think for a lot of these teams, they would like to create content specific to each platform, but they're constrained by the capacity of their team to create content. Um, An example would be, you know, with TikTok, even um, with Reels within Instagram, those are typically being shuttled to the entrance um, at a team or a league and just, you know, 
they throw it to them. Good luck, you know, try to create that content, but let's focus mainly on, you know, Instagram or you know, Twitter where there's already a robust track record of being able to monetize that content through sponsorships. Um, so I, I think generally these you know, teams would like to be able to invest in all platforms and have content specific to it, but it's really challenging to be able to turn that content around and, and balance who's going to be creating content for all those platforms. Yeah, it, mm -hmm. it's, it's a, it seems like it's a real fraught issue. Um, mm -hmm. There's just such inconsistency, as I said, and I, I don't know, uh, you know, the, the other question that I think that's hovering over all of us is a, a concept we talked about in my class, you guys are familiar with, you know, you've got your owned platforms, your own digital platforms, your website, mm -hmm. email, newsletter, things like that. And then you have your third party stuff uh, for earned media. It seems like so much effort is being put into the distribution of third-party platforms where typically by definition, all things being equal, you can't monetize as well because obviously you're giving some back, like in the case of YouTube, 45%, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. um, so what point does the team proprietary owned efforts such as websites and team apps become almost redundant or like how this ecosystem is really fascinating to me because I just think of myself as an average fan. It's like, oh, okay. Um, I don't know, uh, New York giants, where do you want me to go? Like, where should I be spending my time to get information from you? Cause, cause in addition to what you offer me, I've got all the sports media platforms like ESPN and, and everybody else in Yahoo. I've got uh, all these social media platforms, some of which I use. You see what I mean? Like, it's, it's a real challenge to figure this out. But, I'm, yeah. but the specific question is what, what, what becomes of the owned platforms? What's their role right now? I mean, one of the clearest roles right now is, um, you know, it's not as wide reaching, but it's, it's, event live event interaction with the brand right like mobile ticketing like reasons that you would have to download the giants app if you're trying to enter the stadium and order food or be a part of an experience with that brand that has to be like a touch point in person that's still where um that's still where it makes like total sense for them to have their own technology and like own the fan in terms of content like you're totally right. I mean, teams have tried, hey, let's have an exclusive series that's only for the mobile app, but then you're, you know, draining your social numbers to serve 5,000 people on the mobile app instead of 100,000 on Instagram. And I think that's balances, you know, it, when I started at the Niners, I was running their website and mobile app and our whole goal with social was to drive traffic back. And it worked really well when Facebook <laughs> algorithm allowed for it. And during my time there, it shifted as, you know, the social platform shifted to actually like, how do we engage on these platforms, be where the fans are, and then, you know, use that for marketing. And then it's fragmented, like, what are we doing? Like you said, on both. I think it's starting to shift back a little bit where it's like, we still need to like, owning the fan still matters. Um, but in terms of where content goes, I don't think anyone's found like the perfect answer for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Will, did you have any, did you want to respond to that question as well? I mean, I think, I think it's also forcing the con you know, teams that are creating content for their mobile apps to level up their game a little bit because they know they're going to be competing with the social media that's being posted on Instagram, Twitter, you know, Snapchat, et cetera. Um, I mean, one interesting thing would be, you know, by default, a lot of these teams, when they're sharing content, you know, video to their mobile apps, it's typically in that horizontal view with the black bars on top. You know, that's, that's just shown to not perform as well as the full screen stories content. And so if, examples of like that of where, well, if, the, if your mobile app as a team is competing against your social account and the social account format is doing better because it's a full screen stories, how do you evolve and improve that content for your mobile app? Typically, you're going to start to bring those best practices from social into your mobile app where you're not going to be able to start to see a difference anymore. It's kind of going to, the, the lines are going to blur a little bit. Um, so I think, I think that's kind of one interesting thing is seeing 
seeing uh, the type of content evolve on these teams' mobile apps um, as they're kind of competing against these other platforms. You think of a brand like the Packers, which has such, and I happen to be, even though I live in the East Coast, I'm, I'm a Packers fan, have been since I'm a kid. And you think about how, well, this is not just true with the Packers, this is true with most pro teams. They have hardcore audiences who will essentially do anything you ask them to do, follow them anywhere. Uh, so even in the, in the worst years the Cleveland Browns have had, which have been many, there's still a full stadium, people yeah. going crazy and stuff like that, which is one of the, the great things about sports. But at what point might there be a bit of a revolt to the third party, the, the, what I would describe as willy-nilly third party distribution of great content and a move towards, you know what? I'm a, I'm a really popular, NFL is probably, and NBA, in my opinion, are the best examples. I got a really good business. I got a really good league. I got good live events. I got really devoted fans. And I got really loyal team, uh, team aficionados. I'm going to actually pull back from what I distribute, use my better experiences that I create in my, in my own suite of products, and just be honest with my fans and say, you want to get this kind of stuff? you will start using the app. Don't go to Instagram anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm just making this more dramatic point just to, mm -hmm. just to kind of get you guys to respond to this idea that it feels to me like we're gonna, we're gonna reach, I think we've reached it, an inflection point where when you're thinking about back to both monetization and long-term fan development, at a certain point, you just have to think about this way more strategically if you want to, sustain a viable media business as an ancillary business to actually putting on the games live and having people come to your stadium. The tensions have been building and building for years. And it feels like maybe that inflection points coming at least for the leagues and teams that have some power. Is that a radical idea or is that not crazy? I've stumped the audience. I mean, I think one of <laughs> I think for a few things on that. Um, one, you kind of just answered your YouTube question, and that might be what you know folks at these leagues would tell you about. Hey, this is why we're not all in on YouTube right now. Um, like we have a great product, and we, we need a lot of money to get the rights to it. Um, the other thing that I think is going to push it more back in that direction is OTT platforms that, you know, the leagues own and start to push more like League Pass and, um, and NFL Game Pass. I'm going to go on mute and let Will keep talking because. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Will, did you want to pick that up? Uh, sorry, where do we leave off here? <laughs> Oh, just the, how, how we've gotten to this point where this tension feels mm. real. And I, and I know yeah. it doesn't, you know, my position may not jibe with the growth of Slate. Uh, mm. So I'm kind of going beyond Slate. Think, you know, with you guys, with your, with your really great experience, yeah. knowing, I, for, especially for you, knowing both sides of the market, as, as I'd say. Yeah, I mean, from, I am definitely biased on the, on the social media side of things. Um, you know, a trend right now with, with stories in particular is that it's doubling every year. Um, Instagram stories growth doubled last year and before that it was doubling every two years um, and so if I was a content creator I would likely want to go against the path of least resistance which is going where the audience is um, and we're seeing that stories is going to be extending to Twitter later this year to LinkedIn um, and so it's, it's only going to be more efficient for these content creators at these sports teams to create social media first content versus mobile app first content because the social media platforms are evolving uh, to have some consistency there um, where you know, Snapchat first was stories, then Instagram, then Twitter, now LinkedIn, um, both later this year. So gonna, their lives are actually getting easier because these social media platforms are understanding what formats are working best and Hopefully, hopefully the, the mobile apps at these teams evolve as well and, and fall in suit, but um, they can work a little bit slower just because every sports team needs to invest in their own development team to have their platform evolve to it. Um, and, there, and therein yeah. lies, the, mm -hmm. lies the challenge, as I sometimes point yeah. out. You know, mm -hmm. you've got 
I don't know, literally thousands of engineers at Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that versus mm -hmm. a few, you know, at a team. Yeah. You know, maybe. Yeah. So anyway, we should probably get into the to the to the last piece of this discussion. I yep. mm -hmm. I know, like Joe, I'd be happy I to have continue. One more question this. before we get. To okay, this. yeah, well, let's make it quick because I know we should wrap it about. I got. I, yeah, we should wrap it about five or ten minutes. Yep. Uh, well, the question's actually for you, and it's where we started. Uh, when you guys go in to meet with teams, are there some brands that you or or media properties that you come in as a best practice where you can say, "This is what they do. You can they do it great. You can do things like this." Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I put the Vikings up there uh, forefront. They um, they invest. We actually went to their um, their offices in Minneapolis and met with their team. They have a very robust social media team. You know, over eight people. Um, some people specifically investing in certain formats of social versus others. Some platforms versus others, and you can see that in the just the stories content and feed content that they create. It's it's a blend of very engaging content that's well-produced, you know, with the right graphics and colors and things like that, um, but also fun. So they don't kind of go overboard there and try to insert their branding too far into the content where you kind of lose the, lose the, you know, the plot essentially. Um, but what so about non-sports non teams? Like, mm -hmm. like other, other yeah. you could say, oh, so this company does it great or this politician does it great. Yeah. Um, we've been really impressed with Adidas. Um, they've, they did a really interesting home team campaign with us where they got video content from their players that they shot at home. Players send it back to Adidas and then they wrapped that into a specific campaign for COVID, um, their home team campaign. So using their players clout and audience to send a positive message, people should be staying at home during COVID and they shouldn't be going out and about and being reckless. Um, and the content there was super interesting and fun. They, they had a mix of hashtags that they were promoting um, and they kind of wrapped it in an interesting aesthetic that made it pop. One, uh, one stat that we have from the social media side of things is that the more color that you introduce into social, the better it performs. Um, mm -hmm. And in particular, the more of your own brand colors that you introduce into social, interesting. Um, the more a consumer wants to buy from that brand. Um, so that's neatly where we kind of also fit into the space of how can we help you as a content creator for a brand introduce the aspects that are best of your brand into social systematically as efficiently as possible. So that could be in text, it could be in graphics, it could be in overlays, um, and it, it generally is shown to have better engagement. So um, yeah, I think Adidas and, and the Vikings that hold up there as top creators. Wow. All right, guys, what a great conversation. Tom, why, Tom, yeah. why don't we split the last two questions, give Will one and give Eric one. Okay, great idea. Okay, so let's start with uh, let's start with Will on the question of the, one of the questions we ask all of our guests is how do you keep up? How do you stay smart? What are you reading? What are you listening to? Definitely on the on the tech side, uh, since we're more of a kind of sports tech platform, I'm a big fan of Stratechery. Um, so that's a blog written by Ben Thompson, former Apple Microsoft uh, Microsoft executive. Um, he kind of does a deep dive into the latest trends in tech. And then um, since there's just so many articles and things to read lately, um, a nice tech news aggregator is TechMeme. And it's a mobile app that essentially aggregates the 15 most important stories in tech by uh, some very smart, smart folks. Nice. What about, what about for general sports business news? I'm a fan of sports pro media. Uh, I think they do some great deep dives into new industries and um, typically dropping their, some of their latest thoughts into our Slack channel as a company, um, insisting we all read it. Yeah. Do, you, do you listen to many pod business podcasts other than the Cusp show? <laughs> uh, I, would, I would say um, there's the Fluid Fan podcast, uh, which is great. And that's um, through Sports Innovation Lab. Yeah. Right. And uh, they've had some some great episodes recently. Yeah, yeah, I, I really like the stuff those guys do. Um, yeah. I think they're on it. They're on, they're on a topic that I'm obsessed with, which I kind of alluded to about yeah. the, these yeah. the, the nature of fandom they're changing awesome job. so so mm -hmm. uh, dramatically. Okay, and Eric, we've got a lot of um, young people listening, students, recent graduates, young alumni, and also people in job transitions, what kind of career advice can you offer? Because you've had an interesting run, obviously. You're in, you're in a rarefied group of people that have worked in both a league and a team. That's a small club. 
So you've been doing something right, at least with your interview skills. So uh, give us some advice. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think one thing that's helped me is like always, especially when I, I was just getting out of college is try to have as many conversations with people in the positions that you want to be as possible. And you'd actually be surprised at how many people are willing to take a one-on-one -on -one call, give you this sort of advice, talk to you about their career trajectory. Everyone likes to talk about themselves. So you could ask them, learn from them about how they got to where they are and always use that call to lead to the next call, right? Like who else should I talk to? And people want to give that advice, especially to, you know, students coming out in the working world in a climate like this, you know, they're eager and have something to offer people who are in sports and at like a higher level position. And they're, you'd be surprised at how willing they would be even through like a cold LinkedIn outreach or, saying, hey, I listened to you on this podcast. I'd love to talk to you about this or that. Um, so I would say, listen to the podcasts, like join the webinars, and then reach out to the people that you're listening to with some sort of personalized outreach about, you know, why you want to speak to them. And a lot of people will pick up the phone and, and talk to you and give you advice. And that could lead to something. That's basically what led to me getting, you know, a part-time gig at the NFL out of college. And from there, you know, my career um, went where it went. Wow. That's, that's really good advice. And, and we, and Joe and I, I know Joe loved the comment when you said people like to talk about themselves because. Oh my God. That, <laughs> nobody in this business would do that. So. Yeah. Uh, but no, uh, you, you said something really key, which is one of, one of my kind of go-tos in career advising, which is to say that I think young people would be surprised to know, new people new to the business, how willing a lot of older people, whether that means 30 or 40 or 50 plus, uh, would be happy to talk, because it feels good to try to help when and where you can. It's not 100% of, of the human population, but it's a lot higher than 50. And I think in a close-knit business like sports, for anybody who's kind of learned about how close-knit it is, I think the default is to say, yeah, if I can help, if I can talk to you for 15 minutes, if I can give you a connection, if I can visit your class, whatever, uh, it, it's really kind of an important thing. It's definitely part of the ecosystem that Joe and I are fortunate to be part of with Columbia. Um, anyway, Joe, you want to wrap us up? Yeah. That was a fun um, conversation. Where, um, uh, Eric and Will, first of all, thank you, but where can people follow both you guys personally and uh, where they can learn more about the company? Uh, give us some handles and, and some other uh, info. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so uh, first I have to plug our, our Slate Instagram account, uh, which is slate.teams. And we have an interesting kind of highlight reel of all the most interesting content that these pro sports teams and leagues and broadcasters, even apparel brands um, are using through Slate. And uh, personally, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm Kaipivita. That's C-I-P. I-V-D-A. Cool. Eric? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Eric Stark, E-R-I-C-S-T-A-R-K 89. Um, and our website is slateteams.com for anyone wanting to learn more about the company. Are you guys nice hiring? Place. Yeah. Not if at the you moment, want a job. but hopefully soon. <laughs> yeah, Joe, Joe and I are looking. We, we thought we'd, we really like your story. <laughs> and we just, got the, we just got the Instagram follow from Joe. This is, yeah, there we are. Wow, Joe, look at you. podcast was an official win. <laughs> and it, it is funny because it's great the way Eric gave us Twitter and, and Facebook, and we'll drop this on the other side of Instagram. So we know which side cover our bases. is going yeah. right. So, yeah. Anyway. Well, guys, that was really, really terrific. Uh, congratulations on your success to date. We wish you well yes. on the growth that's certainly ahead for you guys. You, uh, you know, I really like the backstory about how this came from solving uh, a problem, which is obviously yeah. where all entrepreneurs should start their journeys. Um, and it's about as important an issue as we're going to find, I would argue, at least on the media side of sports, Joe. So mm -hmm. uh, that, that, it's a really good position to be in. So good luck with it. All in one of these days, hopefully we'll meet you guys in person. You can visit the campus uh, maybe in 2022 or 2023, uh, <laughs> the way things are going. <laughs> um, unless you that. want to visit Joe's hybrid class as, yeah, a, uh, as a Zoom, zoom in. Uh, hey, guest. we might do that. 
I'll right. take you up on that. If that's or, not although I may, I may <laughs> try to get them first, Joe, so be warned. I met Will first. Uh, thanks, by the way, thanks to Rodrigo. Thanks to yeah, Roddy. Yeah, that's right, Roddy. Yeah, Roddy Roddy's... made the introduction. So shout out for Rodrigo. Roddy's the man. Yeah, uh, hanging out in the south coast of England right now, I understand. <laughs> I saw tough, Roddy tough walking by like some castle, like 8,000-year-old castle the other day that he put on Instagram. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. sounds like he's got he's, a nice life going over there in England. So he's um, doing well. Good, he's doing good well. for him. Anyway, um, Will you, and Eric from Slate Teams, thank you so much. Really, really wonderful conversation. Good luck with everything. Um, and enjoy the NFL season. Joe, we'll have to see what happens next Thursday night, and then we'll revisit our predictions about yep. the protests. Um, we'll see just what happens. The, we just edit the podcast so we all look good. We'll have Tom start to do that after. Yeah, or we can go in and yeah, add, add the exact percentage uh, that I was looking for. Uh, awesome. Tom Cerny, great job producing as always. Good questions in the chat functionality. Uh, I like that little move. Uh, and thanks everybody for listening. Really appreciate it. If you have any thoughts about guests you'd like to hear from or ideas for new shows, please feel free to reach out uh, at Joe Fav, uh, where what Joe, 18,000 people are hanging on your every tweet at this point, uh, or, or, or at Convergence TR, and um, I have a much smaller audience, but, it, but I, try, I keep trying. Uh, anyway, so thanks, guys, and thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next time on The Cusp Show.